0: All right, let's grab our Bibles and turn in them to Genesis chapter 1. As we continue this morning in our look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis in a series entitled, In His Image. Before the renowned theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking died, he he made a statement. A statement that really rocked the scientific world as they looked to him as one of their pioneers in scientific advancement. He made the statement in an interview that there must have been a beginning, otherwise the universe would be in a state of complete disorder by now. A physicist admitting that there was a beginning to all things, that time itself had a beginning, shocked the world. What they believed and took for granted, that time always existed, Stephen Hawkins, at the end of his life, was reconsidering that assumption. Now, how it began is where the debate begins. For you and I... We see it beginning much differently than the secular humanist sees everything beginning. They believe that a Big Bang began the process. Now, how the Big Bang occurred, well, that's where they receive differing opinions. But I also believe in a Big Bang theory. But mine's a little different. Mine's is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bang! There it is. That's my Big Bang theory. But again, we need to remember that in our scientific world of discovery, we are still catching up to the magnificent creation of God. And it is uh, arrogance to believe that removing him from the equation would give us any answer to the realities in which we live in. Think of the hubris that it would take and require. This morning we come to the six days of creation in our series. And I emphasize days. Here at Calvary we believe that God created the world in 24 hour periods, six of them literally. And again, many would disagree. Some, even in the Christian community, would disagree. Some in the Christian community hold to an idea known as theistic evolution. Other Christians hold to a position called old earth creationism. And we would be considered young earth creationists. We believe that God literally created all things in six literal days. And I'll be sharing with you why we believe that this morning. But in it all, we are focusing in on how this portion of creation points to our understanding of who we are and why we were created in the image of God. And how, if we lose this aspect of our understanding of creation, we lose a dynamic component of our understanding of our image that we have been created in. We are going to see a definitive pattern emerge as we look through each of the six days. God said it. God stated it. Through a creative word, He reports of its effect God evaluates it and says it is good. He names it and numbers it in each occasion, giving us the understanding that these are six literal days. And at the end of each period of creation, each day of creation, he says it's all good meaning that it is well-pleasing, it is fruitful, it is morally correct, proper, purposeful, and convenient. But today in our world, as we see the decline of our moral uh, values, we see the decline and the decay of our created world. We're reminded that the law of thermodynamics still is in place, that what starts out good once Uh, exposed to corruption will begin to decay and deteriorate over a period of time requiring the necessity of a new heavens and a new earth which are promised to us in scripture. I think of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 when he said in verse 18 should be on the screen behind me for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectations of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or emptiness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will all be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Meaning, that when man fell, creation was subjected to the weight and the effects of sin and death also, therefore requiring a new heavens and a new earth to be created. Now, some do not hold to a six-literal-day progression of creation. Some Christians hold to the idea that is known as theistic evolution. And they believe simply that God started the process and then an evolutionary process took it from there, governed and guided by the natural laws within creation. However, may I state that natural laws that are part of creation have also been subjected to sin and death. And there is a theological problem in in this particular uh, understanding, and that is that death arrived before the sin of Adam, which cannot theologically have taken place. Secondly, there are old earth creationists who believe that the period of time of creation was extended either due to the fact of the day-age theory, meaning that each and every day was not a uh, simple 24-hour period of time, but yet a long period of time of some sort. Others say that the gap theory allowed for a longer period of time in the creation process. The newest one, though, is what's known as progressive creation. That word progressive makes its way around, doesn't it? But this is that God simply introduced new forms of life along a process of millions of years. In each and every one of these cases, though, they run into the difficulty of the grammar that is used here in the text stating the obvious uh, pointing to a literal 24-hour period of time. Some will argue that the first three days were long periods of time, but the 24-hour periods of time didn't begin until the fourth day when the stars and the moon and the sun were put in its place. We'll show you why that isn't a, I think, plausible explanation for the excuse of longer periods of time as we go. But many who hold to 24-hour days that were not started and created until the fourth day, and therefore the three days are longer, I would come back and say to them, each time the word day or yom in the Hebrew is used, associated with the terms night and day, and numbered in the Bible, it refers to a literal 24-hour period of time. The second objection: the Hebrew word "yom" for day sometimes is used to describe long periods of time, that could have been the case here. However, though Adam, my answer to that is that Adam was created on the sixth day, and we know that his lifespan was only that of nine hundred and thirty years. So it couldn't have been a hundred thousand years, a million years, etc., because his date of living and dying has been given to us. No, I think the best explanation is to simply take God's word at face value. Six literal 24-hour periods of time. Now, when people object, they often state, well, we know that the world is much older than simply 6,000 years. And I ask them, how do you know that? In the exploration of evolution, you will find that many of its elements have been taken for granted to be truth. In fact, for the last 50 years, we have been moving in a direction where we teach evolution no longer as a theory, but as a fact. We teach it in a way to students that it is provable, observable, and repeatable. And yet none of those facts are true. None of those processes have been repeated, observed, etc. It is a theory. Now what many don't realize is that we as creationists and our evolutionary friends are looking at the same evidence. But we're looking at them through different glasses. Those glasses are our worldview. And our worldview is what we need to challenge with our evolutionary friends to allow them to see the evidence differently. But I don't know if there has been another theory ever proposed in all of man's history, philosophical reasoning included, that has undermined the idea that we were created in the image of God more than the evolutionary theory. I don't know of any theory that has done more damage to a culture than the evolutionary theory. The evolutionary theory adopted by our secular humanist friends always is accompanied with atheism, a rejection of the existence of God, a fact that they, again, will say is knowable, and I argue the fact if it's knowable, then we can prove that it's knowable, right? That faith doesn't have to be um, used to believe that God does not exist, and faith does have to be used. You cannot prove that God does not exist. In fact, you have a very difficult time with that. So an atheist is reaching that conclusion on the basis of faith as much as you and I are reaching the conclusion that God does exist. He has manifested himself through his word and in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And I would argue to say that they have to exercise a greater degree of faith than I do. But the evolutionary theory based on the atheistic position has removed God and as a result, there is no longer purpose and meaning to life in the heart of man, there is no longer a source of peace that can be drawn from, there is no longer an understanding of true love, and there is no hope for the future. And all of this came about when we said... That God did not create the heavens and the earth, for God does not exist. However, the Bible says it differently. And in the acceptance of the existence of God, we have purpose, we have meaning to life. We have a source of peace that surpasses our understanding. We have experienced the unconditional love of Jesus Christ in our life, and we who are followers of Christ in that love have a hope that cannot be subdued by the world. And it all began on day one. Look with me in verse three. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light, that that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. It is fascinating to me that the very first element of the creation process is light itself. Scientists have a quandary when it comes to the origin of actual light itself. Where did it come from? They don't have that answer. The Bible clearly teaches us that God is the origin of that light. In First 1 John 1, 1.5, John writes, This is the message which we have heard from him who declared it to you. That God is light. Meaning that he is the origin of light. And in him there is no darkness at all. As one wrote, they said, today the origin of light is still a mystery to scientists. However, the Bible tells us clearly that it originated with God. His light is separating the darkness uh, still in the hearts of people today. My uncle was a hobbyist, and in his home, the lower level of his home, he created one of the most exquisite train set collections that you have ever seen. The detail that he created within his uh, train layout was exceptional. I mean, it was in the newspaper at a time. It was uh, featured in various um, uh, articles uh, in train hobbyist magazines over the years. Every little detail was painstakingly Uh, you know given attention to and he had this beautiful train and of course when we went over to my aunt and uncle's house we as kids we would always run downstairs to see what new component he added to his train collection he had trains from all over the world as he traveled he would buy a new model train to add to his collection of trains But when we go over there on, you know, not special occasions like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving, but just a day of the week, we would stop by to say hi to my aunt and uncle. We would always peek down the basement. And my aunt would say, Is the light on? Is the light on? And we would say, Yes, the light's on. Well, this particular light was the light that he used to shine over his workstation, where he built these things and, and assembled these things and painted these things. We knew that he was creating when that light was turned on. And we knew that it was only a matter of time until a new component came and was added to that train set. So it doesn't surprise me that when God began the creation process of all of the things listed to follow here in succession, he begins by turning the light on. And the creation process begins. Now, an interesting story about that train set. That train set came to an end very quickly. Because one evening, through a horrific storm, His basement flooded, and the flood took away the creation. I was like, if that's not biblical, I don't know what is. But he was insured, and I think he took all the money, and he traveled even more. (laughs) Uh, But I always knew, when the light is on, that light is still on today. And God is showing that light in the hearts of people. Notice what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when he states, For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give, us, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is God who turns on the light in our heart. That light has been a guide to God's people from the very beginning here in creation but as leading the people out of the uh, nation of Egypt during the Exodus period notice with me in Exodus 10:21 through 23 then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt darkness which may even be felt So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all of the land of Egypt three days, and they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. When he finally led them out, notice this with me in Exodus 13, 21 and 22, And the Lord went before them uh, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by the day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night before the people. And today you and I are guided by a light. That light is His word. Notice what the psalmist writes when he says, in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And of course, the arrival of Jesus Christ gave us greater light. And in the end, in Revelation 22.5, notice with me, there shall be no night there. There shall be no need of a lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever And ever Amen. Creation began with the turning on of the light. In verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. One of the most fascinating aspects of this creation here given to us in the book of Genesis is that God separated the waters, not just simply on the face of the earth, but the waters from the waters of the earth, creating some canopy or vapor barrier that allowed for the extended life to be enjoyed by those who lived under it. And most likely this firmament this canopy was dispelled and, of course, brought down to contribute to the flood that occurred later on here in the book of Genesis. Notice with me in verse 9 as we come to the third day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathered together the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that uh, yields seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind. Another phrase that I want you to pay attention to. Whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And this was the evening and the the morning were the third day. In the creation process, God continues the process, allowing for the various elements now to be created trees and grass and herbs and all of these with the possibility and of course the capability more specifically of producing seeds that would allow for the reproduction of these various plants according to its kind. This phrase here allows for what many would call today microevolution, meaning it allows for variance within a species, but macroevolution, a species to a species, still has not been observed or proven, meaning that one species uh, evolved into a completely different species. But according to its kind, this allows for various You know, deviations in the, uh, of course, in the makeup of the gene within the individual or within the pattern of the seed to allow a pumpkin seed to always bring forth pumpkins, allow a watermelon seed to always bring forth watermelons, etc. But can there be variants? Sure. But those variants are considered micro variants, micro variants. They would say evolutionary changes, and often those evolutionary changes are due to uh, circumstance or inviter- environmental concerns. But the species to species still has not been proven. Verse 14 then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day and night, and let them be for signs of seasons, and for days, and for years. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. The stars, the universe, the heavens created at this time for the purpose of governing time. Now some will say, here, this is a clear indication that the 24-hour periods didn't start until the fourth day. Because without the sun or the moon, you cannot have... Day and night, and 24 hour periods of time cannot be calculated without their existence. Oh? The 24 hour period of time is not calculated on the placement of the sun or of the moon, it's calculated upon the rotation of the earth. The earth is already created. Day and night are already taking place, so therefore the rotation of the earth must already be taking place, allowing for 24-hour periods to exist before the fourth day. Does that make sense? That would be my response to those who who would say differently. Allowing for longer periods of time the first three days and shorter periods of time for the last four. In verse 20, Before we get there, though, it is interesting that the stars, the moon, the sun, etc., became an object of worship in and of themselves. When the astrologers of various empires throughout the Old Testament looked to the stars, they missed their meaning. They didn't understand why they had been placed in the sky to begin with. Looking for insight, looking for Wisdom, looking for some kind of message, yet they missed the message entirely. As one wrote, in in astrology, unbelievers use stars and the planets for guidance, but the Bible says that they are merely there to be display of the handiwork of God. For Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the God, and the firmament shows His handiwork what folly to follow astro- astrological charts of the babylonians or to worship the sun god in egypt rather one should trust the one who made these objects in heaven in the heavens however many humans repeatedly reject the creator to worship the creation as paul wrote in romans 125 these individuals who exchange the truth of god for the lie and worship and serve the creators Rather than the the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. But there was a group of people that saw a star in the sky and realized that there was something significant about that star. And instead of worshiping the star, they followed the star to exactly where the star would have, would lead them to a manger in Bethlehem a place where they would see the Messiah himself. If we look to the stars as God would have us look at the stars, we should see the handiwork of God. We should see the glory of God and a clear testimony to all the world that God exists. I don't know about you, but one of the most amazing things is to sit underneath the heavens. I was always amazed as a kid going downtown to the Adler Planetarium And going to the planetarium show, and seeing the stars projected in the way that they did on the ceiling, it was incredible. I was always mesmerized by that. And of course, then you're taken down the journey of millions of years. Then becoming a Christian and going down to the Creation Museum there in Kentucky, next to the Ark. We sat again, but this time, the scriptures were being read as we were looking up at the stars, and I thought that was spectacular until we found a place in Door County that is known as a dark zone, a place where there is no artificial light to inhibit the, just the majestic beauty of the stars. And we were sitting out on a beach in pitch black darkness, looking up at what God had actually done. And I remember... These words, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. His creation should always point us to him. In verse 20, then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. The word birds there in the Hebrew can also be translated flying things. And this is where many uh, creationists believe insects were created. Now, I wish God would have pulled back on mosquitoes. I really do. Amen. You know, let's hold it back, you know. Now, I know that they are part of the food chain, that there are places in Wisconsin that the bats, this is another creation of God during this time, that bats eat the mosquitoes and you can sit outside and mosquitoes aren't even prevalent. I don't know if you knew this, but at some time I had believed that I had read that uh, certain areas here released bats into the wilderness to help with the mosquitoes. I don't know if you remember in the 70s when they used to come around and spray for mosquitoes with these big fans and this, you know, <laughs> you know y- you're know, you worried about organic food today. We all played outside while they were spraying us with DDT, you know, <laughs> <laughs> these huge fans just barreling up all of this fog into the thing. And my parents saying, oh, good, they're spraying for mosquitoes. And my sister and I were glowing in the back room, you know, uh, because of the chemical contamination. But God in his creation process continuing here. And notice with me in verse 21, so God created the sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind. Notice how it's repeated over and over again. Cattle creeping uh, things and uh, and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. Everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You know, evolutionists were convinced by the Finch experiment that were found down in the Galapagos Islands. And because the finches had varying beaks, it showed an evolutionary process. The problem was is that they considered it a macroevolutionary process rather than a micro-evolutionary process that was brought about by its environment. And as a result, again, this is used to prove and to display the evolutionary you know, uh, accuracy, and yet it's easily explained. It's just like the fictitious idea and the fallacies of Lucy, the monkey that they found, and how this proves evolution. And and now we see that it clearly doesn't. And there's been great work done by most all scientists who see that now as a problem for the evolutionary process. 20 years ago, scientists and professors alike began questioning evolution. They began to ask the questions concerning the problems that they started to discover as we learned more about God's creation. Microbiologists were looking at the cell and seeing the dynamic complexity of the cell and stating that this could not have happened by chance. There is a design to this cell and therefore must lead us us towards a designer. However, though, something happened when individuals started speaking up and talking about the design and therefore the possibility of intelligent design. We started seeing the first waves of what we now call the cancel culture taking place in academia. We started seeing that professors and scientists were being fired, silenced, their tenure being removed their grants being taken away if they thought for a moment that they could challenge the evolutionary thinking that is the bedrock of our society. Why? Because the implications to the scientific, secular, humanist, uh, atheist was too great. If we, if we imply that there is a design and a designer, then we have to explore, metaphysically, the idea of God. God. And of course, that wasn't going to be allowed. And today, evolution is taught as a fact. Any question or concern or rebuttal, or challenge to that idea is quickly, quickly suppressed. However, though, because of the age of the Internet, which I believe is the modern-day Uh, streets and roads of Rome. What do I mean by that? When the Romans came into power, they created streets and roads between towns to allow travel to uh, be more uh, easily more uh, undertaken, meaning they could travel more fluently between one place and another. And of course, as they meant it for their troops moving from one place to another to hold the empire together, The early Christians used those same roads to take the gospel out into all the world. And many scholars believe that it was the roads that allowed for the gospel to spread verbally and through letters so easily during that period of time. They weren't inhibited by, you know, impassable, uh, you know, geography and so forth. They were able to easily move freely. Today it's the internet. And as we see the mainstream corruption that is taking place, more and more people are moving to Substack. More and more people are moving to the internet where they cannot hinder it. More and more platforms are coming up allowing for truth to be spoken. You know, God always gives away. And these individuals now are moving forward. And one individual in particular that I'd like to bring your attention to this morning is Dr. Stephen Myers. He has been such a champion for the Christian faith. Recently, he was on Joe Rogan and shared with Joe Rogan one of the best gospel presentations that I've ever heard through science. So if you have someone who is fascinated with science and is a staunch evolutionist, please direct their attention to a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Meyer and allow God to use him and the intellect that he has blessed him with to share the gospel. Joe Rogan's face was absolutely stunned because he couldn't refute what Stephen Meyer was saying. He said it gently, he said it confidently, and Joe Rogan took, it, uh, took a notice to it. I think God is personally pursuing Joe Rogan. He has had so many wonderful Christians on his show. I, I just love that. I think people are asking questions again. So what does this mean for you and I? It means that your takeaway for today is pray for Joe Rogan. In verse 26, then God said, and here it is, the crowning jewel of his creation, you and I. After everything now has been created, the garden has been established and set. The centerpiece of that garden was you and I. Then God said, let us. Make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the creeping things that that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. That should settle the argument. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. You and I. He created us uniquely in a special way, unlike anything up until this process of creation. Unique in the sense that we were created with intellect, a moral nature, the power to communicate with others, and an emotional nature that transcends instinct. There is no thought here of simple physical likeness. In contrast to animal, man is a worshiper, an articulate communicator and creator himself, fashioned after God's own three-person character. As God was created, of course, His uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one whom, whom we call the Trinity. Man was created with man, soul, uh, flesh, soul, and spirit. Three persons for the purpose of interacting, fellowshipping, communicating, communing with our Creator, God Himself. The placement of our creation in the garden was to give the example that God had dominion over all of his creation and all of that was surrendered at the fall. When sin and death entered in, we allowed that dominion that we had that reflected the dominion that God had, we gave that over to the ruler of the world, Satan himself. But initially God said to them, God gave man a mandate to subdue creation have dominion over it, to use it but not abuse it. In the modern crises in the earth's environment are due to man's greed, selfishness, and carelessness of what God has given us. Well, before we leave this section, let me speak to our evolutionary friends, if I may. And I'd like you to consider these three points, if you will. These three points were articulated by a gentleman in England named Dr. John Lennox, one of the key mathematicians there at Oxford University and a strong believer in Jesus Christ. When it comes to the origin of the universe, he asks his opponents to consider these three things before sharing his four points of concern when it comes to the evolutionary process. Number one, he asks his evolutionary friends there on the campus of Oxford. Evolutionary is so ingrained in the Oxford Scientific Department that do you know that it is politically incorrect to use the word mind on the campus of Oxford? The word mind. Now you may say, well, why? When you use the word mind in that context, you have a brilliant mind. The evolutionists now are what are called monists. They believe that man is simply material, from his head to his toe, his brain, etc. And the brain, materially through chemical reactions, gives capability to thinking and to reasoning. But when you say the word mind, you enter into the idea of what's called dualism. And that dualistic position allows us to say that the brain is material, but the mind is immaterial. It's something more. And Dr. John Lennox, of course, refuses to bow the knee to that. Because these evolutionists also believe that all matter is flawed to a degree, that it, you really can't trust it. And yet, he says to them, would you trust a computer with your most sensitive work that you couldn't trust to calculate that work? And they would say no. He says, well, then how can you trust your brain in whom you feel is insufficient to do what you do? We have to be given something more. That mind is what we consider. In saying that, it leads to my first point of consideration. To my evolutionary friend, I would say to them, please consider your worldview. It is your worldview that is leading you to interpret the evidence in the manner in which you do. It's your worldview that leads you to make the assumptions concerning the authenticity and the accuracy of evolution. It's your worldview that is clouding the issue. And of course, they would say the same thing to me. The problem is, is that I can articulate mine much easier uh, and much more uh, willingly than they can. Their worldview has been shaped, and therefore the evidence that they look at, they look through the glasses of their worldview. Number two, I would ask them to consider what is known as the cosmological argument. Asking them, how did it all begin? What uh, cosmological argument asks is, The declared purpose of the cosmos or cosmology is to understand the structure, the operation, the origin of the universe and the earth only in the framework of natural law. The restrictions preclude the planning and purposeful acts of creator God, meaning that you have a very difficult time explaining things apart from God, the origin of God. If you want to say that all things began with the Big Bang, then you have to explain to us where the Big Bang and how the Big Bang occurred. And then there's the teleological evidence. If there's design to something, it must point to a designer. If there's design to something, it must point to a designer. Here are four significant challenges to evolution that should be on the screen behind me. Number one, there is no possibility that complex chemicals, DNAs, proteins, etc., necessary for life can form at random. Please know that. DNA is composed of hundreds of thousands of chemical-based pairs, all precisely sequenced. Even if such chemicals could form, It is absurdly improbable that such chemicals once formed could then randomly come together to form a living one-cell organism. Even the simplest life forms are too far complex for simple random occurrence to form randomly. Number two, genetic mutations virtually never add any significant information to DNA. Now, what does this mean? That once genetics are mutated, it doesn't add to, it subtracts from. A mutation subtracts from. The gene is already perfect in its design and mutations detract from that. Genetic mutations, whether caused by radiation or chemical toxicity simply scrambles the existing blueprints of a life form. Hence, there is no mechanism for an uphill macroevolutionary change. Did you get that? Number three, and this is one that is very difficult. In fact, I asked someone at the Field Museum when I was given a back uh, backroom tour of it to see if there was a fossil in their records. There is a lack of transitional fossils in the fossil record. Missing links are still missing. As Colin Patterson, chief pantheontologist at the British Na- Natural History Museum, said that he knows of no fossil for which an airtight case can be made for it being a transitional form, one species to another species. One species to another. And lastly, The evolutionary theory cannot account for sexual reproduction. Non-sexual reproduction would be far more efficient for prolification of life forms in the evolutionary model. Meaning, there would be no need for sex. And yet sex is clearly created, designed, and purposed. Lastly, I would say to the evolutionist, is the evolutionary process continuing today? Now, many of them would say yes, but it's processing so slowly that we cannot observe it. It's processing so slowly that we cannot preserve it, uh, uh, observe it. And then if they were to turn that question to me, so you as a creationist, is the creation process still occurring today? I would say, oh yes, absolutely it is. Can you prove it? Can we see it? Oh, absolutely we can. For the psalmist said in Psalm 51.10, as as David prayed, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me each and every time an individual comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, it is another testimony that God is still at work within His creation that He began at the beginning. That He is creating. And that we have the promise with our renewal in Christ, our reconciliation, our new relationship established once again with God the Father is all testimony to the work that God is doing. For Isaiah said in 65, 17, for behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is where we're heading. This is where we're going. And in the end of Revelation, as we concluded it together, we enjoyed the new heavens and the new earth that God will one day provide for us. Is God still at work? Absolutely He is. He is changing people's hearts each and every day. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for our time in Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that when we look to the heavens, And we see the wonderful aspects of creation that we know in our hearts that it is purposed. We know in our hearts that you are there. We know in our hearts, Lord, that you started all things. For you, your heavens declare the majesty and the glory of God. And Father, as the psalmist laid there in awe and in wonder, knowing that the inward parts of man were formed by you, and you knew us even before we were formed in secret. You knew, Lord, what you had in store for us, plan and purpose that you had created us for. Father, I thank you, Lord, that David then said, who is man that you are mindful of him? Father, I thank you that you just did not leave us, but you came to save us through Jesus. And it's his name that we pray in this morning. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.